Hey, Soma Midtown, Brandon Shields here again. Today is Tuesday, June the 2nd, and I want to welcome you to another episode of our podcast designed to help you practice the way of Jesus in a time of global pandemic. Over the weekend, I had the opportunity to gather together with some folks from Soma downtown at a processional for racial justice in our city. And we gathered together with people of other uh, churches and faith traditions, uh, different races, different ethnicities, thousands of people uh, gathered at the state house. And there were stories told and, um, and uh, cries uh, kind of being uh, offered up together for justice. We walked the streets of downtown Indianapolis and we talked and we listened and we prayed. And it all kind of culminated in us uh, laying down just off Market Street, right in the heart of downtown, and um, and laying down for eight minutes and 46 seconds, which was the amount of time that Officer Chauvin had his knee on the neck of George Floyd, literally crushing the life out of this image bearer and follower of Jesus. And, um, and it was a show of solidarity, and it was a really powerful and humbling and convicting couple of hours. We afterwards gathered together to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. And it was just impressed on me in that moment Man, like this is this is so big and so huge, and we still have so far to go as a church in understanding what it means to really embrace justice and reconciliation as at the heart of our spirituality and our calling as followers of Jesus in the world. And so what I want to do today is actually just this whole week we're going to talk about justice. And, um, and if you're new to this conversation, what I wanted to do on this first uh, podcast here this week is actually talk about um, the connection between spiritual formation and justice and reconciliation biblically, because I don't think that link is often made. And I want to talk about that. And I want to start by just reminding us where uh, racial injustice comes from, because I know this conversation can quickly quickly get political. If you've had a conversation with your family recently, maybe you grew up in a small town or a more um, uh, conservative environment with your family, like it's so political and, um, and it's easy for us to miss uh, and forget where we've come from. And so if you're new to this conversation or just as a way of reminder, I want to talk about kind of how we got to this place that we are today. It's important that we have a common set of facts and a common memory in, uh, in doing this work so that as we begin to build out um, ideas and solutions that we're, we're operating in the same with the same system and the same set of historical facts and same set of theological facts about and anthropological facts about what it means to be human and how sin has kind of entered in and fractured things. And so um, as we talk about injustice in the world um, with respect to race, there's three dimensions that we need to kind of hang on to. A biblical framework for racial injustice starts with acknowledging three dimensions uh, that all of us need to grow in acknowledging if we're going to have productive and redemptive conversations. The first dimension is the one that we're all kind of aware of. It's the personal dimension of injustice, right? Like ever since Genesis chapter three, sin entered into the world. We have a preoccupation with ourselves and we uh, engage in self-righteousness. We try to play God. And that is that very factor that broke uh, shalom with God in the beginning, this wholeness that our first parents, Adam and Eve, experienced with God. And it led to, it leads to all kinds of things, pride, uh, this sense of superiority or inferiority and fear and shame and idolatry, right? These are the internalized 
racial attitudes and beliefs and values rooted in the sense of self-righteousness. So that's one category. The second category is the social dimension, the interpersonal and institutional uh, expression of our personal brokenness um, that gets expressed and embedded in, uh, in our relationships and our institutions and is expressed through behaviors, norms that preserve and embody and advance racial injustice and division. We see that, again, in the Bible in places like Exodus, uh, even in Genesis chapter 4, right out of the gate after Genesis 3, we see institutionalized violence. We see that in Amos and the prophets Micah and Isaiah. Um, this is what some people refer to as structural or systemic racism. Um, there's this category in the Bible for um, institutionalized oppression of the poor and economic injustice and mistreatment of immigrants and refugees. And and that is essentially this cumulative effect of these racist feelings and thoughts and beliefs and practices that then get encoded in policies and rules and regulations and procedures and symbols and guidelines and resource allocations and narratives that prize one race and disadvantage another race of people. Um, the third category that we have to see in the scriptures is the supernatural uh, roots of injustice, right? Not only are there, is there personal injustice, not only is there social or systemic injustice, there's also supernaturally motivated, like the spiritual powers governed by the evil one, the devil himself, that instigate and intensify and metastasize injustice and division in the world. And we see this Revelation and in John chapter eight, Satan's called the father of lies. He deceives, he distorts reality. Um, the prince of demons in Luke chapter 11, Ephesians six is our primary battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and cosmic powers of darkness. And so what I want us to just take note of is that all of this is in play and all of this is working and conspiring together. These dimensions are playing out in the racial conversation and our racial history in uh, America in the West. And so we have to be able to confess these realities, realities and tell the truth about the, these realities uh, in the past and see their impact on the present if we're going to live redemptively in the future. And so um, all those are at play in our story. And when it comes to understanding race, like we talk about racial injustice, when it comes to understanding race, we have to differentiate and understand what race means and what it doesn't mean, because race is a relatively uh, Western and new concept, right? And so race is different than ethnicity. Ethnicity refers to the way that people identify with each other based on shared cultural uh, things like language, history, ancestry, nationality, customs, and food, and art, when uh, Europeans first colonized America, there was no concept of race. There, there was no white people or black people. Lighter-skinned people uh, that we now call white were simply British or French or German or Italian or Irish or Dutch. And those with darker skin or what we might now call black people were folks that had cultural heritages from places like uh, Nigeria or South Africa or uh, different places uh, around the world different cultures around the world. And so race really emerged in the 16th and 17th century as a Western social construct to distinguish groups of people on the basis of selective physical characteristics, such as their skin color, their facial features, or their hair type. And what happened was over time, 
Uh, after the kind of the first uh, Africans arrived in 1619 on a Dutch trading ship, what started there as indentured servitude by the mid uh, and initially was to provide raw materials for uh, Europeans from the Americas gradually gave way to this forced transatlantic slave trade of more than 10 million Africans. And by the mid 17th century, uh, we have mandated slavery for life with no hope of emancipation. And during that time period, this idea of race, what Brian Stevenson, one legal scholar, calls the narrative of racial difference, emerged as the uh, the lead kind of ideology. And what the narrative of racial difference refers to is that people begin to assign value based on racial differences. Um, there was this move to de-emphasize the differences between various European ethnicities and to describe them uh, collectively as white people that were inherently superior and more human and more culturally dominant than what became came to be known as black and brown people. And this narrative of whiteness was an ideology and many people believe And how, how else could it be the case to help white Europeans feel comfortable with their ownership of other human beings and, uh, and they're wiping out of an entire indigenous native population. And so race was a social construct and it labeled white people as superior and human and black people and brown people as inferior and less human on simply on the basis of the amount of melanin in a person's skin. And so over time, um, white Christians, white people begin to write laws and begin to uh, develop habits and institutions and practices that concentrated power in the hands of those they considered white while withholding that power and withholding dignity and withholding equality from those they considered Black. And if you want to learn more about this, we actually taught on this in the fall of 2019 in our Justice and Reconciliation series. You can go back and listen to that series. And we talk about how that began to work itself out and weave itself into the systems and structures and kind of the imagination of American society and culture over the course of the next 400 years, all the way up until even today, like we see vestiges of this in different documents and um, certainly in our relationships uh, with one another. Um, but you can read more about that. But the point is, this all came to a head and created over time what we call a, a racialized, what one sociologist calls a racialized society, um, a society where race matters profoundly for differences in life experience and life opportunities and social relationships and different rewards even politically and economically and socially and psychologically are given to groups along racial lines and lines that are completely socially fabricated and constructed have nothing to do with our inherent value dignity and worth as human beings and so that is kind of a short history of how we got to where we are now here's where um, spiritual formation begins to enter into this conversation because a lot of this, uh, the way that we experience these realities now is different than what was happening a couple hundred years ago, where it was explicit and there were lynchings and we had the Jim Crow South and um, we had just overt acts of violence, which still happen today. Obviously, clearly we see that at work even in the last several weeks, but a lot of it happens at less of an explicit level and more at the level of implicit. And what I mean by implicit is it's not something that's 
consciously happening. Like nobody's sending somebody down and saying, do this or don't do this. It's, it's something that kind of leaks in. It's, it's a way that we're formed to be in the world. And it primarily happens um, through a process of kind of uh, default discipleship, particularly in our families of origin and the early kind of institutions that we find ourselves in. And so this idea of kind of implicit formation um, really takes place from the very beginning. Like all of us have a kind of a personal family culture that's handed to us from our families of origin, right? Ways of being in the world that are just normal for us, right? From how we think about home to how we think about what's clean or not clean, what's safe or not safe, what's good or what's not good and, and how we show up in our relationships and kind of the traditions and customs and rhythms of our lives. And from our earliest experiences in childhood, we, we kind of organize these unconsciously, these experiences, these patterns, because our brains are pattern-seeking organs. Um, we organize these experiences into symbolic representations that neurobiologists call mental models. These mental models are just frameworks for how we see the world. And what happens with us as individuals and families also happens at a societal level. And when you, when you mix that together with, with power and with institutions, what you have is the potential for and the reality of racism, where certain cultures and certain races um, are, are elevated and their, their norms and practices are elevated as normal. And then everything else is, is judged and um, excluded or punished or uh, discriminated against as inferior in relationship to that kind of uh, one standard. And so um, in a lot of ways, since our inception as, a, as America, um, white culture has become the norm by which everything else is evaluated. It's the norm by which we evaluate what's good and what's not good and what's normal and what's not normal. And so this process of uh, spiritual formation, when we talk about the need for spiritual formation, we, we, we need to recognize that we have been discipled in our families and in our culture to think a certain way about black and brown bodies, to think a certain way about white skin and what that means and doesn't mean um, and, and how that creates in us just these unconscious thoughts or feelings, stereotypes and biases and prejudices that we hold against other people that oftentimes we can't even help. Like you see somebody walking down the street and you think of them as safe or not safe, right? You, you enter into a certain part of town and maybe you lock your doors and, and you don't know why you do that. It's just, there's something in you, something ingrained in you. That's, that's the discipleship. It, this is learned. This is not natural. It's learned because of the, um, the ways that we've been taught and conditioned to think about life in the world as it relates to different races and cultures. And so spiritual formation is, is needed because we must disrupt those patterns. Those patterns that we hold, many of them are wrong, they're sinful, and they lead us to treat and interact with people in ways like what we've seen in the past couple of weeks. So much of that is, is just patterns and ways that we've learned to be in the world where we've been deformed away from God's vision for a cross-cultural, multi-ethnic community that exists together in harmony. Like that's our future in the kingdom of God. People of all races and classes and colors and genders coming together to form uh, a true multi-ethnic, multi-generational, rich, diverse tapestry called the kingdom of God, united by faith in Jesus Christ, empowered by his spirit. That's what the spirit wants to do. That's why it's called spiritual formation because we need the spirit to 
to reshape our desires, to reshape our imaginations, to disrupt these patterns and to invite us into a new way of being in the world as God's people forming a just society, one that's not doesn't assign value on the basis of the color of our skin, but rather on um, our dignity as children of God, regardless of our race, um, regardless of our ethnicity. And so that's what, that's what God wants to do in spiritual formation is he wants to disrupt those patterns. He wants to see the ways we've been discipled into a certain cultural identity and all that that means in terms of how we see the world. And then he wants to invite us, the spirit of God wants to empower us to, as Jesus said, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to set at liberty those who are downtrodden, those who are marginalized, to invite them to, one, turn to God, to be reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ, recognize that all of us are sinners, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We all need God in order to be righteous, to be whole, but then also to reconcile us to one another, to break down those barriers of hostility. That's what happens when the gospel explodes in a community is that it begins to break down the walls of hostility, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, and to reconcile us to right relationships with each other. And that takes, that is a long, lifelong process of surrendering our biases, surrendering our prejudices, surrendering our assumptions, surrendering racist attitudes and thoughts and, and deconstructing that when we see that in, in systems and institutions and beginning to live into this new vision that God has for us. It is a lifelong process of surrendering uh, ourselves to God and seeking forgiveness, confessing our sins, praying and fasting and, and, and beginning to live in more just ways with one another. And so that's what we want to talk about this week. We want to begin to talk about that today just to say this is important that we see this as a spiritual practice. We see this as essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To practice the way of Jesus is to understand these realities, right? When you read books on spiritual formation, you're hard-pressed to find any that talk about our cultural or racial, racial identity, that even list justice and formation as an essential practice. And yet this is what Jesus was about. This is what the Spirit was doing in the world. And this is what we see happening in the early church and we see happening throughout church history. Wherever the Spirit is present, He begins to do this work. And so I wanna just uh, pray for us. I know this is a conversation fraught with so much emotion, so much disappointment, so much rage, so much um, sadness and grief and loneliness for so many of all races and all cultural backgrounds uh, in the church. And I know that we have not done a, a good job. We have done a, we have a terrible track record here when it comes to pursuing justice and reconciliation in the church. And I'm thankful that God is awakening a new generation, a new passion of uh, a new generation of people passionate to see this happen in the church. And so I want to just pray that God would do this work uh, over us, that he would reconnect our spiritual formation with the work of justice. And as we think about the work of the spirit, that we think about the spirit's call to be a community of justice. So Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus that you would empower us by your spirit to be a just community, to learn and to see the ways in our story that we've been discipled um, by the world, by culture, by uh, a truncated gospel that, that has played itself out in pulpits and churches across America for far too long now, to see the ways that we have been discipled, to think of race and identity in ways that are ungodly, that are demonic, and that are um, uh, evil. 
And we just, we know that the, the devil loves to play in that, that space of pride and arrogance and superiority and inferiority and shame and guilt and um, unrighteous, ungodly views of what it means to be human. And so God, we just, we pray that, pray that you, Holy Spirit, would disrupt those, that you would cause us to repent, to cause us to turn away from those things and to turn towards you, believing that you can do what we cannot do in our own strength. And we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would teach us, that you would guide us into all truth, that you would convict us of sin and guide us into a vision for righteousness and wholeness in terms of how we pursue uh, justice and reconciliation in the name of Jesus. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.